The Entrepreneur Adventure, giving entrepreneurs the tools to climb higher and faster than ever before. Is the business you're building right now something that lights you up, something that gets you fired up, something that you're truly passionate about? Do you got something else in mind you'd rather do? Like, man, if I could do this and make a business out of it, this is where I want to go. This is the episode for you, my friend. This is the Entrepreneur Adventure Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Melton, joined today by my co-host, who gets really annoyed when I say that, very sensitive to me calling him the co-host, Mr. Chad Brown, the serial CFO. And we're joined by Johnny McCutcheon, the founder of J-Max Clothiers. And Johnny built a business for years that he wasn't 100% fired up for, didn't hate it, but he had something else in mind for down the road but he needed to build the income up first so he could finance the dream business. So my friend, you can pivot, and Johnny's going to tell you how. So here is our interview with Johnny McCutcheon. So excited today to have a great friend of mine, somebody I've got to know here over the years. You may know him as Mac, J-Mac, Mr. Suit, collegiate baseball star, insurance guru, However he's known to you, Mr. Johnny McCutcheon. Glad to have you here, buddy. Welcome to the podcast. Man, really excited. I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, I don't know if I can compete with that intro, but I appreciate it, man. I like it. So, man, welcome. So excited to have you here. It's going to be a cool episode. Things we get to learn and uh, talk about from you. And, man, just completely in awe of how you've grown your business and how you've been able to pursue your passion. And but before we get into all that, tell us a little about your story, man. How did all this start? Tell us about the baseball career and uh, lead us on your journey. Cool. Well, I, I grew up in a small town in South Carolina, a little town called Lake City. It's a tobacco town. And uh, sports was basically what we did. So for me, football, baseball, basketball was what I did growing up. And I uh, had the opportunity to go to Presbyterian College. So I'm a Blue Hose for any uh, PC alumni out there in the, in the community that may be listening. Uh, played football my first two years, and then baseball my last two years, and then waited to take Hold on a second. Hold on Did not know. The Deion Sanders of South Carolina here. Prime time Johnny Mack in the studio today. Whoa. But probably the most impressive thing was what the fifth year actually waited tables. So that was probably even more impressive than the baseball or the football career. Yeah, Um, you're in that Hall of Fame too, (laughs) aren't you? Absolutely, absolutely. Terry's Fine Dining, downtown Clinton. Uh, Boy, it sounds nice. It was very nice. Was that where you started your suit career? Absolutely. Did you have like a white blazer there? Yes, absolutely. That's that's where I started. That that was learning marketing 101, networking, all of that, all combined. Uh, sales, you know, there's nothing quite like that 530 Boy. buffet. Trying to hey, convince if that's them, where you, know, you earn sales, Terry's a good teacher. Right. He, he served you well, brother. Absolutely. The blue plate special, man. That was that was the, that was the <laughs> ticket. That was the ticket. But um, but you know, it was kind of interesting for me. You know, talking about college, I was actually the first person in my family to ever go to college from grandparents, parents, cousins. Um, so it was new, but you know, it was kind of one of those things. Kind of growing up, that was always assumed that I would go. Uh, I actually have two younger sisters, and they have since, you know, went as well. So it was really kind of interesting. I actually met my wife there, who's from South Georgia. Uh, post-college, uh, was a teacher and a coach. It's kind of one of those things I wanted to do. I guess having been an athlete, wanted to, you know, have the opportunity to coach and, and grow young men. And so 
Did that for four years, and actually at age 27 was a head baseball coach, which is what I kind of thought I always wanted to be. Man, living the dream. Living right. the dream. Yeah. Living the dream. Was this yeah. in like small town South Carolina? Or actually, was... no, it's kind of interesting. Uh, the first year we were in Winston-Salem because Melinda was in grad school there and then moved to Conyers, Georgia. We took a map to okay. what was the halfway point between our parents, and it was Conyers, Georgia. So we were in Conyers for a couple of years, and then I got the head coaching job at Habersham Central up, okay. in, up in the yeah. mountains. And uh, we realized pretty quickly there, we, we, it was a cool place to visit and hang out. But, you know, for a young couple, it's a little, <laughs> little different for us. But uh, we got to know each other really well and, and loved our time there and wouldn't trade it for anything. So did that, but kind of had one of those moments, I think, where just decided, you know, I don't know that I want to do this for 30 years. You know, I was, you know, leaving my house every morning, 7, 7.30, getting home 9, 9.30 every night. And I'll never forget sitting in my, my classroom one day and I looked at some of these kids and, you know, you just – the attention they were craving. I thought, man, if their parents would just spend a little more time with them and do things, and it kind of hit me like a brick wall, man, that could be me one day. Hmm. Because of the time, the commitment that I was given, I just wasn't sure, you know, if that's really what I wanted to do. So when we actually moved, uh, Melinda had actually, who's my wife, had actually started with Aflac in the insurance world. Okay. And I remember sitting there looking at her saying, wait a minute, you work less than I do, you're always happy and you make more money than I make, and maybe, maybe there's something I need to do a little bit different. So uh, after a year at Habersham, we uh, told everybody that I was going to resign, and we moved back to Covington, which is where we were living. Our house was still in the market, had not sold, so we moved there, and I kind of found myself into the you know, uh, insurance world as well. Uh, wasn't sure that's what I wanted to do because it was kind of her gig, but um, had another job opportunity, and was supposed to start on a Monday, and that Friday before, I got a call from the CEO out of Florida and said, hey, we're too concerned about your lack of sales experience. We think we need to move a different direction. Boy, did uh, they screw up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. I don't, I I don't know what their stock price is right now, but it's a lot less than what I, it I should I will say be. this. That company was out of business two years later. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, so you didn't intend to go down this road of even insurance sales or insurance uh, entrepreneur side. You... You were in the coaching world and teaching world, and you didn't want to do that and had another job lined up that involved just a normal paycheck, and that fell through, and it just kind of pushed you. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, and, it, and it's interesting because I didn't ever see myself, and like I've heard on previous podcasts, you know, no one kind of wakes up and says, I want to be an insurance guy. Sure. But, but kind of funny looking back now, I remember one of the things that I looked at and said, what do I want to do after teaching and coaching? And one of the things I said is, I want to dress a little nicer. And, and I felt like for insurance, that was something that I could do. That's, man, that's exactly what I say every single day. I'm sitting here wearing a hooded sweatshirt and my you know, Adidas warm-up pants. never been such an opportunity for most improved based on that statement. I don't know if when Johnny walked in here, he's like, I got to sell this dude. Or he's like, there's no hope left for this dude. So your dream was just to dress a little nicer for you to take good. off the baseball pants. Absolutely. And, and it was really one of those things to, to just look at something that I could start and kind of grow and, and really focus on being paid what my worth was and what the value versus someone else placing a value on me. And as much as I love the teaching and coaching, you know, I could sit there every year and go, hey, no matter what I do, if I'm the best coach in the state, the worst coach in the state, the best teacher, the worst teacher, I know based on my years of experience and my education level, this is what I'm going to make. So I really wanted an opportunity that I could work as hard as I could and, and earn what I wanted to earn. But more importantly, focus on the hard work that I was doing then, know that the future payoff that was that would come about. And mainly too, we were, we were young, newly married, uh, been married four years, didn't have kids. So didn't mind working a little bit and, and getting out there and doing that. So 
actually ended up um, was at, with Aflac for 12 years. And during that time, I actually got into management, did a lot of recruiting and training, which for me felt just like coaching. Oh, you know, yeah. I never saw myself as a trainer. I mean, I, I, I never saw myself as a manager. I just would say, hey, I'm just coaching kids and, and people just the same way. And that's kind of how I looked at it and continue to do that. So when you made that move, did you have a lot of confidence at that time that, man, I can go in here and crush it? Was that because you saw your wife uh, succeeding in that world? Or is that something you were nervous going into? What were you feeling at the time? Like, okay, I just this job just fell through. I got to start selling Aflac on Monday. Well, how were the emotions yeah, at that time? I, I think it's funny now looking back to all those years ago. Yes, there was a lot of angst, a lot of anxiety. And some of that was because it was her gig and she was really good at it. And I didn't want to come in and get in the way or do things differently, but we were nervous. I mean, it was a commission only sales position that we yeah. would be a commission only family, you know, to do that. But also I'll never forget when I started looking, you know, as you're going through the recruiting process and, you know, talking about this and having conversations with people, you know, obviously they're telling you all the great things that can happen. And, sure. and honestly, it was one of those, not that it wasn't true because they were actually having success, but I think for me, I actually saw that. And I saw myself in them one day being that. But by the same token, I'll never forget several people were like, man, how are you leaving teaching and coaching? I mean, you've got a guaranteed salary. You've got benefits. You know, there's so much stability and so much comfort in that. How could you, you know, take such a risk? <laughs> and I wanted to tell them, look, that 33000 that I was making, you know, wasn't, wasn't a huge step out. Um, but, but I also knew for me, and, and it was kind of the whole going back to, you know, going to college and, and being a head coach, it was one of those things that I felt like once I kind of set my mind to it and Melinda and I supporting each other, that I knew that's something we could we could make. And, and again, it was one of those that it wasn't a, a sprint by any means. It was a marathon. So, you know, each year we'd kind of look back and say, hey, that's another lap, another mile, another two miles, whatever it may be, to get to what that end result was. And even at the point then, I don't know that we had any idea what that end result was, yeah. um, but I will tell you, you know, for me, it was one of those things. I knew it wasn't something that I would do for 30 years. I knew kind of like teaching was and coaching that it was that vehicle to kind of get me to that next step. And then I didn't know if it was an eight-year career, 10-year career, 20-year career, but I knew it. I wasn't a lifer, but I was really excited about what opportunities that could provide for me moving forward and then to see you know, where that took me. So you, you've recognized this two different times at this point. Hey, I, I'm doing this, I'm succeeding, this isn't a career for me. I'm going to make a change. What, how do you recognize that? How did you know that? You didn't know what the next step was. You just knew it wasn't this. Was that something like you just had wanted to accomplish more or you just didn't feel like that was enough to fulfill you long term? What, what identified that? I think a couple of things. I think one, you know, with them, I was an independent contractor, which was great. But the, the higher I moved up and, and, and the more that we did, the more people you worked with, you kind of realize that even though we were independent, it was still their model. It was still their ideas. It was still the things that they wanted. They set quotas. You know, now, again, I looked at the quotas just a minimum, but, then, you know, but it was still something that was kind of placed upon me. So even though I was independent, I truly didn't feel like it was ever truly my business. And you I think wanted your me, own rules. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and not that I wanted to necessarily break them. I just wanted to be the guy that could set them and know yeah. that what that was. And so I think it truly came back more to that entrepreneurial side of it that I really enjoyed it and learned a lot. It was a great way because there were certain things that, even though we were independent, they kind of gave us that model to work within. Mm -hmm. 
But then as I, as I grew, I felt like I sort of outgrew the model, if I can say that, not in a negative way, but, but I looked at things. And then I think in the back of my mind, there was always this underlying burning that I knew clothing was something that I wanted to do. Um, and, and I didn't know why, it just, I, I've always enjoyed it. I was a guy kind of that in college, guys would come to you say, hey, can I wear this with this? Or, hey, let me borrow that shirt out of your closet. And it's funny because if you look at kind of my, I guess, role models growing up, it's not like, you know, people wore suits or things like that. I mean, my dad sold cars, sold boats, and drove a milk truck. You know, uh, my well, your mom. Your dad was an entrepreneur. Yeah, he was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, absolutely. It's all starting to make sense That's now. right. And, uh, yes. and, and growing up in a small town, I promise there weren't many options as far as clothing. So there wasn't something that I would see and go, I see myself in that one day. But it really was for me. And I think that was something, too, that I looked at throughout my career with Aflac. There were several mentors that, that even today I still call on and look up to that, stressed, they had success, and I looked at them and said, hey, I could see myself in their shoes one day, but a lot of that was just, you know, following and, and looking, and I think it's true so many times, you know, people kind of look at what is success, is it money, is it time, is it family, and all those things, and so for me, I knew that I needed to map out what that individual success was for me individually, but then what was my family success, and that's one of the things that I think, you know, not saying that I couldn't get it there, but I knew that I didn't want it there, that I wanted something beyond what that career was. But again, I didn't put a time frame on it or a time limit. Sure. So I want to talk about Aflac in conjunction with what you just said about success. Everybody knows who Aflac is. Like they, everybody's heard of Aflac. They said Aflac. They've seen the duck, right? But most people, the average person, can't really tell you what Aflac sells. And this isn't auto insurance, which everybody has to have. And so you're just getting somebody to trade from you know, state form to all state. You're selling people products that they need, but they don't. Nobody ever wants one of those policies. And the way you guys would sell them too is not necessarily like you're. you're I know you could sell them person to person, but that's not the business model. If I'm right, it's more like, hey, you get in with Chad Brown at the tax shelter, and you can offer this to all of his employees if they want to opt into it. You can take it from their just directly take it out of their payroll. They're going to pay after. This is a hard sales job. This is not easy. What are the when you were in management recruiting? What were the stats? How, how many people made it at Aflac two years down the road? You know, it, it, it's kind of um, mind-numbing to kind of look at, at how few people did. And, and so I would say, you know, typically, and for me, I was one of those guys that tried to focus on, instead of recruiting the masses and just seeing who made it, I would rather selectively recruit people that I felt like could make it. Now, there's always outliers. There's always people that you think are going to make it and never get out and work and there's other people that you think man <laughs> you know i don't think they're going to be anything and then two years later you look and they're on stage you know winning some awards so so i really tried to focus on that let's let's focus on fewer people and it helped me too because i my whole career i was in a rural market you know even though i lived here i could do business in atlanta but truly i had to be careful i didn't want to recruit a ton of people and I want to make sure I treated them right because I'd see them at the grocery store, see them in church on Sunday or whatever it may be. And then, um, so those numbers are definitely, it's, it's a higher recruiting ratio to success. Um, I've been removed a, a long ways or a long time. So I don't know what exactly those numbers are, but I can tell you that, you know, typically 20 to 30% was, you know, from a retention standpoint is what you kind of look for. And then the other 70, you just didn't know. What is that because they don't want to put in the work or is that because you get told no so much it's hard to have the confidence just keep going back what's the what's the battle there for their attention 
I think some of it was was work ethic and, and, and yeah. time. And then I think that just like anything else, anytime you start a business or you start something new, I think we, we all have this fear. You know, I always say that no, I don't even think most people's fear is getting told no. Most people's fear is the fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. And when I walk in that door, who's on the other side? What are they going to say to me? What does it look like? What does it feel like? And so, you know, there's that paralysis. I just don't know what to do. So in the meantime, I'm going to work on my business card, even though Aflac said, here's what your business card has to look like. Um, I'm going to work on my branding. I'm going to work on my, I'm going to have my car so organized. You know, and I, I still laugh that, you know, I was that guy that I would be going down 316 to Atlanta doing presentations. And literally at each red light, when I would stop, I would start making packets and have them all in my passenger window because, or in my passenger seat, just because for me, I realized pretty quick that I don't need to focus on that. I need to focus on the marketing side and getting in front of people. And, and so, Josh, I think to answer your question, you know, as people looked at what made success or not, I don't know that there was that secret sauce or secret ingredient, but I will say, and, and Chad, to kind of go back to answer your question too, is that I know for me individually, it was one of those things that as I looked at teaching and coaching, I mentioned that the, the management side, I still got to coach. But honestly, from the sales and marketing side, I felt like I was teaching. So when I walked in, my first job was not to convince that business owner to buy something. It was to talk to him, you at the tax shelter, and say, hey, let me educate you on how Aflac can help not only you, but can help your employees. Sure. If at the end of the conversation, you don't think it's something you're interested in, I'll be happy to shake hands and walk away. But just give me the opportunity to educate you. Before we sell anything, let me educate you. The next step is then let me educate your employees to see if they're interested and what their interest level is because each employee here, if it's 10, if it's 20, if it's 50, they all have different backgrounds, different financial situations. So let them make individual decisions. All I ask of you is that you just payroll deduct it and then each month pay the invoice. Doesn't cost you anything. Doesn't cost you anything. Hard to say no to education. Absolutely. Nope. All right. That's right. <laughs> and so for me, I never looked at it as a sales career. It was still just teaching and coaching, yeah. but I got to dress a little nicer, you know, which oh, was important yeah. as I talked about before. It's all coming and, back. And it was one of those things too, that it was fun because, you know, I still, I still laugh and I'm still friends with some. And I think back, there's so many cool and unique businesses out there that, that the average person doesn't know about because we go eat here, we go shop here, we go do that. But I, I'll never forget there was a group in Conyers that actually made the waxed on, on a on a wax bottom boat. They actually um, I'm trying to think of the the fiberglass bottom boat. Yeah. They actually made the wax that held in the fiberglass on a boat, and that was their job. And there's just some of the coolest, most unique people, and we would sit around and just have conversations and talk about life and business and what they were doing and their growth strategies and all those things, which, which made it really neat. So it was fun to not just feel like I was just selling something, but truly educating and, and growing, you know, with them. And, and, you know, hopefully they were growing with me as well. Yeah. So the cool thing, man, is I know probably more about Aflac than like the average guy knows, you know, if that, does that make sense? Cause from my background in the insurance industry, phenomenal company, great culture, great marketing. Again, we know the Aflac duck. I mean, it's been, decades, I guess now, and they've had the Aflac Ducks. So they're a phenomenal comp- company, culture, marketing, all these things, they do great, but their opportunity is difficult. Now it's phenomenal what you can leverage it into. And that's the cool thing with your story is you saw this, while a lot of other people see this as something that's just difficult and it's hard, and like they want to kind of go through it and run the gauntlet on this to get to whatever's on the other side for them with their dream. You saw it as like, okay, I could still 
I can do the things I love through this currently, not just on the other side of it. I don't have to organize my business cards 15 million times. I can focus on the key productive activities while I'm dressing nice, educating people. And somewhere on the other side of this thing, I could start doing something I really love to do. That's like everything about it I love to do instead of, again, just finding ways to incorporate what I love into this. You knew there's going to be something on the other side someday, just like you as a teacher knew, okay, I'm not going to do this forever. I'm going to move from this at some point. So at what point did you start creating in your mind J-Max and seeing the progression of like, all right, I'm getting close to removing myself from the day-to-day of this Affleck journey and going all in on my dream? You know, it's hard to say, you know, that exact time or moment. I'd love to tell you, you know, I was driving down I-20 and, you know, something happened. But I will tell you, it was one of those things that was always in the back of my mind. And I think the main thing for that was even though, like I mentioned, Aflac was the vehicle to get me to where I wanted to be, it also, from a sales side, I knew at the end of the day, before I could sell a product, I had to sell me. And, and I think so many times, and, and with, with new agents, and I think just people in general, you know, when, you, when you're selling or you start a business, you focus on all the minutia. And at the end of the day, I truly believe if they don't buy you, they're not going to buy what it is you're trying to sell. And so I would really try to hone in. You know, a lot of times people talk about marketing. Do you cold call? Do you do this? Do you do that? Do you, you know, center of influence network? And I've always said, look, you just have to figure out ways to get yourself in front of people and let them make that decision. Hey, do I like him? And is that somebody that I want to do business with? So I think for me, as, as I was growing to answer your question towards what that is, I knew that if I could take that skill set that I was learning there and kind of cultivate what it looked like from a business model, and then all of a sudden one day it drops in that, hey, clothing is something that I'm interested in. And, and actually it's kind of a, an interesting story. The, um, my manager with Aflac uh, was a great mentor, a great manager. He actually one year for Christmas, was he was buying custom clothing, and he actually gave myself and the three other managers a gift certificate to his guy for custom clothing and that was kind of my first kind of that's the day you wrote that, your notice that, you're that's, like, that's I exactly quit. right i was like hey this, <laughs> this is the worst cool. decision he ever yeah, made that's that's right. Right. and he takes full credit now <laughs> that that he's the guy that put me where i am today i bet he does uh, what, that, yeah. yeah what percentage and, and, of equities does he have at jmax and he's a great client and a great friend and it's been, like i said he's been a great mentor to me and and it was kind of funny because i would tell you you know even though i knew i enjoyed clothing that day i think when i had that first experience it was something that I saw that said, hey, I can do that. And part of it, you know, is, is interesting. Over the 10 years that I bought clothing, I really, really liked the experience side of it, but I wasn't crazy about the guys that I bought from or their process. And I kept coming home and I would tell them that this is really cool, but I think I could do it better. And at the time, I wasn't sure what it was. And then I'll, I'll get to what that is, you know, that I felt like that really helped and finally clicked for me. But I just felt like that was something that I can do. And it just kind of kept brewing, kept brewing. And then and did you, know, you do this with other stuff? Would you go to get your oil changed? Like, man, I think I can do that better. Or was it just in this wheelhouse of like clothes and suits and that? He's sitting at the restaurant, Chad, and a waiter comes yeah, up. Like, and Johnny's I, like, I can do that better. Me and Terry better. can like, do that better. <laughs> I, first of all, thank you for the compliment about the oil change. I, I don't even know how to check the oil in my car. So, but I, I appreciate that opportunity. So, I was wondering. That question, yeah, I, guess. I, was gonna say, I saw it smoking ah. when you was driving in. I was wondering what was up with that. Uh, no, um, no, it, it really isn't. It was for me, it was about clothing. And, and, and I think part of that, because throughout my time and you know, when I was managing and training, you know, working with new agents, 
confidence for a salesperson is so critical and so key. And you watch all these people that I feel like they focus on all these things because they just didn't have that confidence. It was, hey, as soon as I know a little more, I'm going to make that call. As soon as I'm a little more organized, as soon as this, as soon as that. And, you know, I always talk about like the Tom Brady's of the world and guys like that. You always look at them and go, man, they just have it. But no one's ever defined to me what it is. And I truly believe that that it factor that people have is confidence. It, it's very attractive. It's very, you know, it has great influence. It's just something when you see it, you want to be a part of. And so for me, I think dressing and clothing was one of those things that I felt like, and I would try to encourage my agents to do that. Hey, that's something we can control. Remember that fear of the unknown that we talked about earlier? We don't know what's on the other side, but we do know how we can mentally get dressed, get right, feel good, know that we've got the knowledge, know that we've got a great company behind us, we've got the right kind of product. And if we can handle those things, then whatever's on the other side of the door, We've already halfway won the battle. Now we just have to walk through the door. Yes. And so I think for me, that was what, when I look at clothing and why that came about, is it felt like and fit that what was important to me, which was that confidence. Because I watch people, and even now it's funny, I'll, I'll meet a guy or we'll go to lunch and he's not a client. And you know, he, the whole time we're having a conversation, he's sitting there apologizing. Oh man, you know, this is uh, Joseph A. Banks or Brooks Brothers. And you know, and he's just fidgeting and he's moving. And I thought, Man, I am not any more judging the way that you're dressing or anything else, but all I can think is, man, if you had an appointment later this day and you go and you had that conversation with me, what's that appointment going to be like for you? If you're constantly in the back of your mind wondering that, and I, I see it as a parent, you know, I see it in my girls, I see it, you know, in friends, I see it, you know, socially. So it's, it's interesting how confidence is such a key thing, and I think that's a critical component because even as a business owner, we all have this, hey, I'm very confident but I'm confident in what I'm selling or what I have, but am I confident in me? And so for me, that's what's so critical is that I wanna handle those parts that are kind of behind the scenes, so let's do that. And um, so I just think that was the thing, that moment was, is it started coming into clarification and then it was interesting, one of the guys that I actually bought from, two years before I actually started J-Max, actually came to me and, and I, I was kidding about I-20. I literally was driving down I-20 and we used to always kid from a recruiting standpoint that you know you look for that threat of discontent. You know, that's a great time to, to recruit people is they have that, hey, I'm really upset, I'm this, I'm that. And I'll never forget, I was driving down I-20 and it was one of those horrible traffic days because at the time I was living here in Athens, but I was, I was doing leadership development out of Kennesaw. Oh, so wow. three days a week I would leave at six in the morning, drive to Kennesaw, train till five and then drive back home. And so I'm driving down I-20, it's horrible right there with 285 connects and everything else. And the guy that I was buying from me called me, he's like, hey man, I really want to start and blow this you know, clothing thing up. I want you to be a part of it. I want you to recruit and train guys for me. I know the knowledge and clothing, you can do this. And I was like, man, that sounds awesome. You know, I was like, this is, this is incredible. So we, we had the conversation. I think that was on a Thursday, that Monday, I went into my Aflac guys and I said, hey man, I just, I think I need to move in a different direction. And, you know, I just, I think this is important. And Melinda, I'll never forget, she came to me, she said, look, before you do this, you know, I'll support you in anything you want to do, but before you do this, let's grab lunch with him. I just want to meet him and kind of, you know, have a conversation. So we went to uh, Buffalo's in the old out shopping center there yep. and uh, had lunch and we got in the car and she said, you know, I love you. You know, I'll support your dreams, your goals, anything you have. She said, but I think you're making a mistake. She said, because you wanted to do this as your dream and your vision. 
If you go work with him, it's no different than what you're doing now. You're working for somebody else's vision, somebody else's dream. And as much as he tells you that it's going to be yours to run with and do that, at the end of the day, he's still the one that crosses the T's and dots the I's and makes all final decisions. So again, you know, you do what you want to do. And, and kind of simultaneously as that was happening, uh, a guy that I used to work with out of Marietta had moved to headquarters with Aflac. And he said, hey, before you make a final decision, I heard you were thinking about leaving, come have lunch with me. I got something I want to talk to you about. We went and we had lunch and he said, hey, here's what I'm thinking about doing. I'd love for you to fill this role. And so it was actually working with a guy that I really, really respected and had always kind of admired from afar out of Atlanta. And we actually, he was the territory, Southeast Territory Manager. So I actually came in as a business development manager and got to travel the Southeast and work with state managers, which was awesome because it you know, grew my network, grew my confidence, grew my education, get to see, I'd always kind of work within this bubble of, of Georgia and what it was, mm -hmm. which at the time was the biggest and best state and today probably is still one of the best states for Aflac. But it was really cool to get to see other people and how they did things and what they did, what principles, what their foundation was. And so it was a really cool opportunity for me. And, and it was one of those sexy jobs, you know, Fort Lauderdale on Monday and West Palm on Tuesday, Charlotte Wednesday. But after about 10 months of travel and time away from family, I realized, okay, I don't know that this is what I want to do long term. So I decided to get back into the field. Uh, and, and that opportunity was we'd have to move, which was, which was really kind of a struggle. We'd always been here. The girls were young. And um, this was back in 2011, which is when the market, as you know, yep. started to kind of take a turn down. And we had just... Uh, sank a lot of the money that we had just earned into the house making upgrades <laughs> and decided that, hey, maybe I need a new new change of scenery. So we moved to the coast of South Carolina, uh, Pollard's Island, Merle's Inlet area, and Melinda and the girls came with me. I, I started a few months ahead of them. Um, actually, coincidentally, if you, if you watch USA, the show Suits, that's when it first came out. And literally, I watched the first episode, I was sitting there by myself and I was hooked. And, and Melinda and me even makes fun of me because even today, you know, it's not even on anymore, but it's on Amazon Prime, and I've seen it probably ten times. Because yeah, it was building your dream, yeah, man. It was building my dreams, and it yeah. just gave me this this power. And in the first episode, there was this scene where Harvey gives Mike his card, says, "Here's my tailor. Go see him. He's going to take care of you." And I thought, I want somebody to do that for me one day. You know, that that was ultimately yeah. what, yes. what, what what kind of. And I think that's when it really started clicking in that hey, this is something I can do. I've I've now taken this step. But by the same token, I couldn't go full-fledged because I had just uprooted my family and said, hey, let's move. You know, So we were there for 14 months, and um, I always kid say Melinda kind of went to the beach kicking and screaming because she loved being here. But then when we left to come back here, she came back kicking and screaming because she loved being at the beach. And, um, and, and it was really cool, you know, with the family. Even though the girls were young, it was still a challenge and a change. But And, and let's, let's pause for a second and talk about you're having these thoughts of going in the direction of suits or doing something different or making a change, but financially you're crushing it with Aflac, right? I mean, you're like, you're, you're high on the leaderboard there. You're, you're a level that most people never get to. You're not in Fort Lauderdale one day and in Charlotte the next day if you make a minimum wage. That's exactly right. So you're making decisions based on what you want with your life, not decisions. You're walking away from something financially that's 
massive, I assume, at this point. Absolutely, yeah. I, it's funny. I, I tell people that year we were super successful. We had a yeah. great year. It was, it was my best year financially ever. I lived at the beach, but I got probably less sun that year than, you know, years that I didn't live at the beach. And, and really, for me, it kind of became this quality of life. What did I want? And I was about to turn 40. And I was looking at it and said, hey, w- w- what does it look like from here? W- what do I want for me? What do I want for Melinda and the girls? And, and honestly, it was one of those things that we moved in. I moved in April. They actually moved that July. And the following June, the end of June, I just I went to my manager and said, hey, look. Uh, and they knew. It's, it's kind of interesting because they knew the story about me almost leaving two years previous. Yeah. And so Johnny's a wild card. Yeah, we can yeah, get him in there. He ain't going to stay long. Like, go, Johnny, go. He's going to go somewhere else. Here we go. Let's get all we can. And so it, it was one of those things. And I just went to him and I said, hey, man, it's time. You know, I mean, this has been great. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, it, it's just, it's time for me to do this. I felt like financially, and, and, and the nice thing, and, and I know Josh and I have talked about this offline a little bit, but, you know, the nice thing with Aflac is, and I mentioned earlier that I knew that it was something that, the work that I put in when I started year one would pay off down the road. And so having that residual income was really important. And I always in the back of my head kind of had this number that once my renewals got to this amount, I could walk away and build something the way that I wanted to build it. No financial risk. No financial risk. You have worked and sacrificed and built a place where you could step away and do your own thing with zero financial risk. Absolutely. All right. So I want to jump in here real quick. I want to ask one clarifying question real quick. And then I'm going to offer my very first ever The Entrepreneur Adventure rant. Because I feel it up in my soul right now. I got like this. I got something to say. I one question. This is my natural hair. I don't even know what's <laughs> coming here, by <laughs> the way. Yeah, it does. I like making them a little nervous. You had scaled up and scaled back down with Aflac. You're at the beach. Are you in a role of just a regular Aflac guy? Or are you like running a territory at that point? Yeah. So to answer you, and I was going to mention too, when I mentioned about the business development manager, that, so so for the first eight years of my career, I was an independent sales agent representing, and I had moved up to agent, district manager, regional manager. Then when I actually was a business development manager, I actually was a corporate employee, okay. which was interesting to have been independent and then to kind of come and back to that job. corporate employee role, right. Yeah. And so that was also one of those things where it was, it was a very good opportunity, but it was capped. Yeah, you weren't building for the no, future. exactly. Yeah. And so when I went back out, I actually went back out into a regional manager role. Okay. And, and t- when I say about going out on top, so to speak, or, or walking away, when I was a regional manager before, you know, we would do two, two and a half million in, in production, annualized premium. When I went to the beach, it was a $4 million region was the quota. We did 7.2 in 14 months. Oh, wow. So when I say it was a, and that was, and if you've ever been to the, the coast of South Carolina, it's not a, a big metro, metropolitan you know, <laughs> yeah. area, but it was also one of those that we were doing these numbers, which is what Chicago and, and, and bigger cities, LA and were doing, but they wanted us to recruit to that number. Ah. And so when you asked a question earlier about how many people make it, what is the success ratio? So I was averaging five times what the average person was per agent hired because we focused on quality and tried to do that and so there there became this little bit of friction in that this is how i want to grow my business versus this is how we think you should grow your business we have an exciting opportunity for you and your business thursday october 8th the stronger business summit at the classic center athens georgia 
It's gonna be an awesome speaker business conference, in-person speakers, all day event. You do not wanna miss it. This conference will revitalize and strengthen you as a business owner. It's gonna help renite your passion for chasing your goals. It's gonna help you grow yourself and grow your business. It's gonna be the first conference held in the new hybrid conference model. This is a social distance format offering you a chance to engage safely on your own terms and whatever level you feel comfortable. You do not want to miss this. To purchase your ticket to learn more, go to strongerbusiness.com. $75 in-person experience, $50 virtual. Check it out. We'll see you there. Yeah, you're like, hey, they're like, hey, Johnny, your recruiting numbers are down. And you're like, right. yes, and my average I'm agent's doing five it. times the yeah, revenue. Absolutely. So here's the deal. All right. Couple more clarifying question for you. You built your business, then you became a corporate employee. Were you still able to earn your renewals? Yes. Okay. So the renewal stayed. Right. All right. Two things for you. First thing is this you talked about the differentiator, the thing that you recognize if I can help salespeople get this, I can help them become more successful. And it was confidence, right? It's confidence. And you know, for whatever reason, how we dress will help us be confident, especially in sales situations. You make a good first impression. I know you're thinking, Johnny, you're looking here right now across the table thinking, Josh Melton must be the most confident person I've ever met in my life because he does not care what he's wearing right now. And it's probably true. It may be. I don't know. We were talking earlier today. Me and Chad were talking. Brendan Burchard's book, High Performance Habits. And he mentions about there's a certain level of maturity people can hit where they just know who they are they know how they carry themselves, how they represent, and they're not worried about worried as much about what the prospect says then. They'll take risks because if they succeed or if they fail, it doesn't determine who they are. Like they know who they are, but they have confidence. And so they're able to perform at a higher level because hearing no doesn't make them want to crawl under a table. And hearing yes doesn't make them, you know, now I'm at the peak. It's like, no, I just that's just who I am. I get some yeses, I get some no's, I just get yeah, I get yeses. If I got to go through 50 no's to get a yes, I'll go through 50. I'll go through 500, I'll go 10. Like, they got the confidence. They know they're going to win. What I see in your story from the start, you just recognize I'm going to win. Maybe because you said people recognized it in you. Hey, nobody in our family has ever gone to college, but this one's going to. Like, something in you was built to win. Now, here's the ultimate rant part I want to talk about. Aflac. You still earn money from Aflac right now. Yes, sir. When's the last time? You sold an Aflac policy. 2012. It's 2020. Mm-hmm. Eight years ago is the last one you sold. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have it and if you know the first one you stole, sold that you still get paid on. But I do, okay, what? When did you first sell an Aflac policy that you still earn an income on today? 2000. Okay, so 20 years ago, this dude sold something. He still gets paid a renewal commission on. But the overwhelming people, overwhelming majority of people who start out with Aflac quit. As far as them being an independent exclusive, not their employees, but if you sign up to be a commission-only guy with Aflac, you quit. But you're making money from stuff you sold 20 years ago, and you hadn't worked for the place or sold a policy in whatever you said, seven or eight years. I mean, that's crazy. And so here's the deal, and here's my rant. And I mentioned Aflac. I, I love Aflac. Culture's great. Company's great. Obviously, the opportunity is great, but there will be some people who'd look at it and say, oh, Aflac, you don't want to do that. Nobody ever makes it. Well, we're freaking sitting here looking at the guy that made it and you're able to create an income. 
screw the statistics. Like, don't worry about the people who, who decided to quit. And I'm not saying everybody's going to make it. You know, I'm just saying that some, if you choose to win and you believe like long-term I'm going to make it, then you'll learn how to do what it takes to win. You won't spend or waste your time organizing your trunk that the prospect ain't never going to see because you ain't never going to talk to a prospect. But you're willing to go talk to the people, which is why 20 years ago you sold a policy that you're still getting paid on. So here's my rant is that so many things get judged as you shouldn't do that. Your chances of succeeding aren't very high. And ultimately it's because most people will choose to quit and not choose to keep going forward like you did, believing that you're going to win because you had confidence in yourself and having a vision that was pulling you toward, hey, there's something on the other side of this that's worth getting past and getting through the no. And at some point in time, you walked into somebody's office and you're like, you know what? I'm full-time into my dream gig right now. And by the way, I'm sure when you did that, it wasn't like, oh, okay, rainbows and the clouds parted and the sun shined down on you and Melinda and your girls at the beach. It was like, no, now it's time to get to work again, right? Because I won't assume the whole thing's been easy with J-Max. You know, you talk about your rant here for a second. It comes back to what you said earlier. You said something early in the conversation about fear. Most people have fear of walking in that door and what's on the other side. I think the reason most people blame it on Aflac, they have that fear and they're looking for all the ways they can justify to themselves not walking that door anymore. They want to point out the eight agents that quit and didn't make any money instead of the two that are making money 20 years later. So because of that fear people have and lack of confidence, which you identified in your recruitment and in how you sold things, they're pulling the easy thing of eight people quit, two people make it. I think that's the story of not just Aflac, any business. Oh yeah. You look at entrepreneurs, you look at the success of small business, what, 80% of small businesses fail? That's the reason. They're, they're over there buying office furniture instead of selling their product or getting out there. And, and that fear is something you were able to identify and also figure out the component to help offset that, which is preparation and confidence. Absolutely. And you get confidence by preparing and by looking. And I think for something for all of our audience, if you prepare and you believe in your product and you build yourself as much as you can to have as much confidence as you can, every time you win, you're going to seek that instead of those excuses of those failures you see in the mirror. But I think the thing, too, that that, that was that was critical, and I think it's the thing that people miss sometimes, and I, I would say I, I hope people kind of hear this in this message, is that even though there were a lot around me that weren't making it, there were still some that were. And so it, it's kind of where do you set that vision? Where do you cast a vision? And who are you following and who are you looking at? And, and for me, it was important to say, I can be that guy. Absolutely. I can be. And, and actually, it's kind of funny. One of the guys that I really saw, he was the guy that tra- he was our corporate trainer that trained me. He was a bald guy, one of the best dressed guys I've ever seen. And I was like, that's me. That's who I want to be one day. And so I think that is critical, but also just as critical. And, and I don't hopefully this doesn't sound boastful. But I would, in the back of my head, before I would walk in that door, I would almost play this game where I would say, hey, look, when I walk in to see Chad today as a business owner, there might be eight to 10 other people that have walked in to see him today, but he should be damn proud that I'm the guy that's walking in because I'm the guy he wants to do business with because I'm not here to sell him something. I'm here for him to buy me first and then let me figure out how I can help him grow his business and what does that look like for him. And, and it's all about, and I'll say this, that I think so many times in marketing, whether, like I said, it's cold calling or it's Facebook ads and it's all these things, marketing is about relationships. 
And when I'm doing all these things from afar and just kind of just spray it and pray it and hope that some of it sticks, there's no relationship built in there. And, and so that's something, and, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about J-Max in a little bit, but that was what was critical for me. And that was one of the biggest things that I learned. And I go back to, I learned that not at Aflac, I learned that when I was teaching and coaching. That some of the kids that, that I mean, I still remember situations and, and that, hey, I need to work with them a little bit more because they've got something going on. And it was that relationship side. And, and you know, no one in here or no one out there wants to be sold anything. So if you can have conversations and educate people and develop this relationship, no matter what you're selling. And so I think that's the thing that for, for people and for business owners, especially in entrepreneurs, is they, it's that minutia, it's the, all these things. And really and truly, at the end of the day, even if you're not your sales department, you are your sales department because they've got to buy you, whether it's an employee, whether it's a vendor, whether it's that end person that's buying the product from you. And I think we lose sight of that sometimes. And so that's the thing, like I said, whether it's Aflac or any other company, if you just look at the people that are having success and say, what are they doing? And understand this too. Sometimes I think we think that that salesperson is great at everything, but they're not. And I used to tell, there was kind of, there was a, a process that we had and I would tell my agents all the time, well, there's not one person that I have. If you look across the state, across the country, there's not one person that's good at all of that. There's this guy's really good at this part. And this person's really good at this part. And this lady, man, she does the best presentation you've ever seen. So just emulate that and realize you're not going to be great at everything. But if you can find one thing that you are really, really good at and hone in on it and just get ideas and suggestions from the people that are good at the other things, that's how you grow and that's how you take off. And that's where you're not part of that group that failed. You're part of the group that has success. The funny thing with this is that the first time you had that conversation with yourself, you're lying to yourself. You know what I'm saying? It's a pep talk. You don't believe it the first time you're telling yourself some of those things. And you probably said it to yourself a number of times with playing sports and you're like, I'm going to sell this table of dessert right here, man. There's getting a dessert by the best waiter ever. But here's the thing that you're doing and getting started with Aflac that so many people miss out on. And it's such a key Indicator of success. I call it choosing your they. You know, it's like, oh, well, you know, they, you know what they say? I'm like, all right, well, who's they? Mm-hmm. You just decided that they, for you, were the people who were killing it with Aflac. That's the they for me. I'm going to listen to them because they is who I want to look like. They is who I want to be. I want to be successful. I don't want to listen to the they that's polishing their business cards and organizing their trunk. So you chose your they, which then, again, makes it easier to, we could say, mimic. Absolutely. Now, I think about little kids. And they put on their daddy's coat and they're their dad, you know, and they're like, they're tough because they're daddy, daddy's their hero. Or they put on a Spider-Man costume and they walk around a little street because they're just, they're stepping into something else. They're stepping into some borrowed confidence, which is what you're doing with J-Max. Absolutely. And again, it's not borrowed from the standpoint of like, you're just, you're helping people see who they really are. And sometimes even like when we were kids, it can be as easy as putting on a coat. Psychologically, it makes a difference. If I put on this coat and it fits. I can walk in the door a little more confidence. Overwhelming majority of us. That's it's, it's just the way it works. I don't know why it works that way. But most of us feel better wearing a suit than we do wearing our, our pajamas from the standpoint of confidence. I know I'm a little different. Put on that little asterisk by me here. But it's true, and that's what you're doing, is you're helping people become more confident by just altering how they feel about themselves in the mirror. Absolutely. And confidence is how you sell. And I, you hit on something that we've heard in four or five of these podcasts. You mentioned it. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what business you're in. You are a salesperson. 
and we've took it a step further in what you were describing earlier. What I hear is you got to sell yourself first. You got to tell yourself, "Hey, I'm I'm the man to walk in here. He needs to do business with me." So you got to sell yourself first. Then you got to sell the customer. And then you got to hire employees and sell employees. You're selling on three different levels Absolutely. every single day in every single business, and it starts with selling yourself. Absolutely. And that may be the best advice I have heard for any young entrepreneur yet on this podcast. You better learn how to sell because you got to sell yourself, your clients, and then your employees. Yeah, it's hard to sell somebody else before you sell yourself. Absolutely. And sometimes, I mean, you're selling yourself every hour on the hour. You know, I mean, in every yeah. call and every minute, I mean, in, in, in each step of it. And I think that is, that's the key. And, and I, I say this, that, you know, when I made that decision to step away, you know, at where I was, it was kind of one of those people were like, well, I get it. I, I know you like clothing, but why would you do that? I mean, you, you, you were you're where you're one it. step away from that ultimate, you know, what being a state sales 2%. manager. Yeah. I mean, nobody makes it this right. far. And, nobody and, I know has made it this yeah, far. And yeah. which can now take that residual income. And, and now, you know, it's going to be spread even more and more policies and more people. But I just knew that the time was right. And I knew for me, I was at that point where it was important to me to make the best decision for me. And, and I say me, my family. And, and then look at, not worry about what other people said. And so it was interesting when, at, when I had that conversation, you know, he asked me, my manager at the time said, hey, do you mind staying on? Obviously we didn't see this coming, but do you mind me staying on? I mean, do you mind staying on for a few more months? I said, sure, we'll, we'll do that. And so we had kind of talked and had, you know, said, all right, we'll just, you know, live here at the beach and work, you know, cause you know, everybody at the beach wears clothing. I mean, you know, custom suits. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but it, then we came back to, Atlanta for a wedding that July and, and Melinda looked at me and said do you think we'll move back to Athens and I said I really do I, I think I could see us getting back in one day she said well what are we waiting on I said I don't know let's do it so so we moved back lived in a buddy's basement for eight months I mean for eight weeks until we found a house that we liked and that was the fall of 2012 and moved back here and so I kind of took kind of the same thing I talked about relationships so here I was, I had no sales. I'd never worked in a retail environment ever, except I sold, I worked at a video store in high school, and then I worked at Terry's Fine Dining, uh, as I mentioned in, in Clinton. Clinton, the T is silent if you're from there, in Clinton, <laughs> South Carolina. But I never had any retail experience and, and just, you know, didn't have any clothing, you know, how to make it, how it looks and all those things. But I knew it was something that I wanted to do. So I called six or eight guys that I had great relationships with. And I said, hey, look, I'm making this career change. You know me. Uh, you know what I stand for and who I am. Let me make you something. If you like it, pay me. If you don't, we're good. Confidence. I need you, Boom. I need you to be my money my back pick. guarantee. Yeah. Who can I, say no to that? I just need you to be my trial and error and see what we can do. All right. You had the relationships. You got the confidence. You know how to sell. How in the hell do you know how to make a suit? This is like 2012. Internet wasn't all that great right. and all that fast. Absolutely. How did you learn the back end? So, so here, here's the fill interesting, the gap. Here's the interesting part. So remember, I told you. Now go back. The reason that my manager that I mentioned takes credit for my career in the clothing business. The guy that I bought my first suit from 10 years previous to to this date, uh, when I decided to make this change, who was the gift certificate clothing guy. I called him. I actually found his card. I was when I was moving out of my Thank office. Thank God you didn't organize that car. Absolutely. <laughs> when Business I was, card been there for twelve when I was years. Moving out of my car, I actually found. <laughs> remember the old? Um, they were like the little, almost like a wallet, but the long ones that you could, the little card yeah. holder, the little 
bifold oh, yeah. yeah. card holder. Yeah. I found one of those buried in the bottom of my desk drawer at my office and started flipping through it. And it was just interesting. I was like having one of these like glory days. You know, oh, I remember this guy and that guy. And I saw his card. His name was Maurice. I saw Maurice's card. And I just called him. I said, he had the same phone number. I said, probably didn't even the same number. Yeah, but I'm no way. He answers the phone. And I said, Maurice, I don't know if you remember me. He said, yeah, I remember you. I said, hey, look, I'm thinking about getting into the clothing business, starting my own business. I'd love, I don't know if you're still in the business or not, but I'd love to get some advice from you. He said, actually, uh, Johnny said, I'm transitioning out, but I'd be happy to help you and work with you. So he lived in Atlanta. So those six, seven guys that I mentioned, I kind of would bring him with me and I would, you know, watch him. And, and I'll say this too. Sometimes I think, when we shadow or we watch people, we go into it looking for, I want to do it like they do it. But sometimes it's just as important to say, what did they do that I think I could do differently or better? And, and there was one thing that he did is the first sale, it was a really good you know, mentor and, and, and friend of mine. He sold him on all these clothes. And at the end, he said, okay, it's going to be, I'm just going to, I don't remember the number exactly. It's going to be $4,800. And the guy looked at him and said, ooh, Oh man, that's a lot. And so I just said, well, what did you want to be at? He said, I was thinking around two twenty-five hundred. Well, the problem is if you sold him here on quality and fit and fabric and everything, it's hard to come back. Hard down to go from backwards, that. yeah. And so right then, I learned that hey, one of the things that I will always do with a new client or even the existing clients, I will say, what's your budget? Tell me where you want to be, and let me work within that budget to get you where you want to get. Sometimes I can, and sometimes I'll say, hey, look, I'm not your guy, you know, and, and not that it's super high end, but these think, custom cufflinks are going to be awesome. That, for that's buddy. right. Yeah. We can make you one sleeve, <laughs> but no buttons. But What's now, your suit budget, Chad? About $85, Johnny. <laughs> so we, we we'll did a, lay, lunch, we did a layaway plan. Um, but that was important to see that, to say, hey, look, when I'm on my own, these are the things that are important to me. And I say this because... I think this is the part I wanted to kind of say, and I think now's as good a time as ever, but when I mentioned that there were guys that I bought from over the previous 10 years, that, that there was the process and some things I didn't like, the one thing that was apparent in all of them, and it's in most sales situations, it was a very transactional sales approach. You come, you see them, you buy something, hey, thank you, shake hands, pay, I'll deliver it, da 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 and that's it. And so for me, I said, I want to do this. And even though I don't know a lot about clothing and about fitting, I want to build a business based on relationships. And I know everybody says that, but for me, that was critical that I wanted it, not a transactional sales environment, but a relationship driven sales environment, not just when we sell, but post sale and three months down the road and six months down the road so that if I can talk to Chad and figure out from him what's important to him, not only in his business, but in his personal life and things like that, what is it that, that drives that confidence in him? And then I can sell and help him fill that void. It's no longer, I don't need a suit right now. It's, hey, I need something to improve. It's, the, the, the hoodie, you know, that, that it, hey, we're going to find you the best hoodie that we can. This is it, custom made. That I don't know if you it, noticed it, this Exactly. Not. And so that was what was so critical in, as the foundation to this business. And so when I say that I built it off of relationships, a lot of my first clients, in fact, the, the majority of my first clients were guys that I had done business with in the past. Were you able to do this and approach it from a relationship format 
because financially you were in a position, this income is not how you had to pay your bills. So you were able to grow it slower than Absolutely. potentially some other options of coming yes. into this type of environment? I looked at, I can tell you the number today, eight years later, I said, hey, if I could make $1,000 a month selling clothing, I can keep my quality of life where it is because of my residual income. But I knew just the law of residuals that over time, the renewal or the residual side would drop off. And so I needed, as residuals dropped down, I needed sales to increase. So really, if you look, that was 12,000 was my goal, so to speak, for the first year in sales, $1,000 a month. And I did over 100 Wow. in year one. And so, and then it's kind of grown from there every year. And so for me, it, I wasn't just satisfied knowing this is what I need to do. I was really excited. And I think that's part of it too is, I mean, to me, that's the best time from a business standpoint is when it's new and you're excited about it. And oh, excuse yeah. my friend, you're full of piss and vinegar and you're just, you're out there and you're going and you're driving. And, you know, and I think people see that. And, and well, you had been uncaged, man. Absolutely. Because you're already thinking about this, dreaming about this. And then finally, and, and tried to quit before to do it. Absolutely. Finally, you're unleashed and you're not financially like stressed about it. But it, it, here's the thing. It goes against so much you hear now. Like, this is awesome. This opportunity would not have been the same. You wouldn't have not have had the excitement and freedom had you had all this financial pressure on you and all this, I've got to make a $2,500 mortgage payment and I can't make $1,000 this month. You put in the sacrifice to do something you were not passionate about and you didn't love for 12 years to build the life and the income to allow you to do this. But that goes against so much you hear right now, follow your passion or if you're not happy with your job, quit your job and go start something, be an entrepreneur. But that's not that's not how you won here. That's not the, the path you followed. And I assume you're really grateful and probably more successful because you did put in work to help you build the life and income to follow your passion. Is that? Absolutely. And I think it's, for me, that was the key too, is I always say, and I used to tell agents this all the time, if you're selling out of desperation versus passion, people know it. That's good. And, and they don't want to be a part of that. And so if, if I'm truly trying to educate, then I'm coming at it from such a good place of, hey, man, if you want to do this, great. If you don't, I'm okay with that. But it, then, too, there's this other side of it, I think, sometimes that as entrepreneurs and, and business owners, as we start building it, we have that goal of 1000 a month. And we get it, and we go, all right, I'm good. And so that was the thing for me was to say, I'm not satisfied there. I want to continue to grow and to do things so that as the business grows and the future grows, I have the ability and the capability to do those kind of things. And I think that's where even for me now, as the business has taken shape and some things are changing, that it's afforded me the opportunity that the work that I did even early on, hard work in this business has now transformed into me being able to make opportunities create better opportunities to grow it versus just looking at, hey, man, this is a good business. I can just keep riding along and see what happens, you know? Yeah, so I want to I land this episode on what you're talking about right now, which is ultimately mindset, continuing to push toward excellence, even once you've reached your goal. Like, just keep, man, you went from, your, your goal was 12,000, you hit 100,000. The passion thing, the follow your passion. The word passion means suffering. Most, most people don't know what their passion, they don't, they don't have a true passion. They have something they like, they think they might enjoy, but you're willing to pay the price. Again, most people quit. The thing you did to like mount up your residual income that you could pivot toward this and go full-time with a target goal of 12,000 was because you went through the hard stuff. 
you did the hard, like you were truly passionate about this idea and you, you did hard things. And most people aren't willing to do the suffering. They're not willing to do the hard things. They want to follow their passion, follow their passion, quote unquote, two weeks into it. And time after time after time, we've, inter- we've interviewed entrepreneurs who paid a price for years to then chase their passion. They went through the suffering, the hard stuff, so they could do the thing that, the thing that they loved. And man, I, I want you to talk to us about the mindset. What, what did make you go from 12,000 to 100,000? Like, that's what our listeners need to hear is how do you tap into that like excellence mindset versus just being like, oh, I hit my goal. What did you do? Like, how, tell me the Johnny Mac way, man. What is it you're thinking and well, how you're doing that? I think it goes back to everything we've talked about today. You know, for me, it, w- it was always that people thought I was crazy that I made this decision. And so there was almost this kind of personally, like I wanted to prove them wrong. Like, hey, I made the right decision for me and I'm doing it for the right reasons. And then even, you know, when I first moved back here and started the business, everybody said, hey man, don't, you know, Athens, guys aren't gonna wear suiting. You man, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. I mean, if you knew how many conversations I had, I said, that's okay. I don't have to have business here in Athens. I know guys throughout the Southeast, I'll just travel. I'll go see them wherever they are. I'll go find them. And then and you did. Yeah. I mean, you're like Louisville, Absolutely. And Charlotte. And, and then wherever. when I would go find that guy in Charlotte, I'd say, hey, the next time I come see you, if you know two or three other people, man, I'd love to share a little bit about what I do and, and you know, if it makes sense for you. And so I grew the business. And honestly, I look back three years ago, um, I was doing everything out of my car and I probably had 10% of my business here locally. And I made the decision because again, going back to that whole conversation about I mean, the relationship side of the business is I thought, this is good, but it is also, I'm seeing people at their house or their office and they're busy, you've got kids, you've got employees. And so even though we had some relationship stuff going, it wasn't what I wanted it to be. So I said, hey, what is that next step? How do I continue to drive this the way that I want to? And I felt like for me, it was, I needed a space that guys could get away from everything come in, let's sit down, let's chat. So I rented a place in Bottle Works, 200 square feet, no windows, you know, just just to kind of test it for a year to see, because this was a big transition for me to do. And it was great. And so then I actually ended up renting my space in downtown Watkinsville, which is a very, I know Chad, you've seen it. It's a exposed brick, hardwood floor. I don't know why we're not doing this podcast there today. And I I always said, if I could feel like New York or Chicago, and I do, I feel like even though I'm in downtown Watkinsville, that's, that's what I feel like when I go in there. But what I found is, I think, and, and, and I think customers would say this too, it's not just about that transaction, what they walk out with, it's that they enjoy just getting away. They enjoy the experience of it. Let's have a cold beverage. Let's watch football on TV. Let's talk about family and life and kids because, you know, hey, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm a son, you know, and, and that's what most of my clients, we're the same. And so that's been the best part of this is not just that that sell and, and whatever it is, it's that relationship that's driven because then I can have that conversation to say, let me help you with your confidence. Let me help you with this because I've been there and done that. And so Josh, I think to answer your question, that's what has driven me to always kind of find that excellence mindset is how do I continue to grow this to that next level? And even now looking at next year, there's something that's kind of in the works that I think is going to take it to a whole nother level for that. But it all goes back to that, that founding core principles of relationships and confidence and helping drive guys in the right way. 
and I heard uh, Ryan Serhant, you know, million dollar listing in New York. I don't know if y'all know who he is. And I'm, I'm a cheesy, you know, Bravo TV kind of a guy. Um, <laughs> I, I won't mention I don't Chad. Know, I don't know uh, what you're talking about, Johnny. I don't we don't watch that Chad and I may have met. But, uh, <laughs> they do, they do dress sharp on those shows. They though, do. So. But, but he, in his book, and actually I listened to him on a podcast, and they ended up buying his book, but he talks about it. He says, no one wants to be sold, but everyone likes shopping with friends. And so for me, that's kind of how I look at my business is that I'm not trying to sell anybody anything. I just want it to be like you come in and we're friends and I'm just going to help you develop a wardrobe, drive your confidence. And even now, this has probably been more critical with COVID and everything that's happening because the way guys are dressing now, it's been a real easy pivot for me to look at and go, okay, now, because I built that confidence with Chad, hey, maybe it's not a suit right now, but let's develop that casual game. Let's develop that weekend date night. And honestly, that's the thing that really clicked in Athens was not so much professional dressing as much as that social side of it, the nice blazer, the nice sport coat, the shirts that actually fit, and those kind of things. So it's been really interesting, and, and I look at it the way I was with Aflac is, I'm you know, seven years in, but there's still so much room to grow and so many things that are there and so many different avenues, and it's just, you know, it's been a lot of fun. And like I said, I just I keep going back to, for me, it's just I'm helping guys with confidence and just developing the relationships to keep going. Here's something that I'm hearing over and over in your story. You invest in the long-term win. You don't chase the immediate gratification. You don't chase how do I get paid tomorrow at Aflac. You're building relationships to win over the course of a long time. You're developing people under you who are going to go sell and build that residual income over time. You go out in the suit side. You're not trying to close a $4,800 deal. You're trying to close an $1,800 deal and build a relationship. So many people right now chase the immediate dollar. They're not thinking about that long-term investment and that long-term approach. Even you mentioned the space. Listen, Johnny, you're crushing it. You're selling suits. Your business is growing. You're doing fantastic. You've got residual income from one of the highest levels of AFLAC. You could have went out and rented any freaking space in Athens or Walkersville you wanted to financially, mm-hmm. but you didn't. You said, hey, let me let me rent a 200-square-foot space in Bottleworks with no windows and let me try this out for a year. It's just a year, and if that works, then I'll find something better, and then I'll leverage that, something for long, more long-term. You are constantly investing in what is the long-term win for you, and I think that is what I'm seeing over and over here, which is really cool and such an awesome message for our audience. And you said you're seven years in, Johnny. Yeah. All right. I'm in my seventh year. You're in your seventh year. What does J Max look like? Seven years, 2027. A lot less money for Chad. <laughs> <laughs> Custom hoodies and yeah, you're speaking my language. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I want to say something to to Chad, and then I think it fills in or feeds into that too. You know, it's funny, with Aflac, I, I think about all of the things that I got from a financial side, but then I also look at those little nuggets and those people that kind of, you know, just get a little bit of you. And I'll never forget when I first started, one of the managers that I had, he said, look, there's a lot that I can tell you. He said, but here's one thing I would, I would caution you on, and please, if you don't hear anything else I say, listen to this. He said, don't ever make a long-term sacrifice for a short-term gain. And that has been one of probably the just guiding principles for us and the decisions that we made. And like I said, even when I had that threat of discontent down I-20, it would have been so easy at that moment to just jump and go, hey, I need to do this. 
but Melinda kind of regrounded me and saying, hey, long term, is this what you want? And so I think that's critical. I think having the support system, and I know you and Lauren have it, you know, and both of you guys own businesses and Melinda and I both own businesses. So, so we get it. We both did Aflac. When we came home at night and had a bad day, she got it. She understood what I needed and vice versa and those kind of things. So those things are really important. And that all leads into what happens from here. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 47. Uh, I look at the business and it's going great and, and I really enjoy it. I don't want to travel as much as I am by any means, but um, I like the, the 20 years from now, you know, I have two daughters. If they want to get in the business, awesome. If they don't, I'm okay with that. But I want to grow a place and a space that guys feel this part of a community. Not just that they all buy, you know, that I've got a buying community, but a, just a true community where guys come together and can do this, can talk about business, can talk about life. And that's really the next step is to how do we put that together here locally and then to take that once we get that model here let's put one in this location and that location and kind of spread it out and hopefully down the road that it's you know the thing about my business today as much as it's grown as much as I love it if something happens to me it's not a sellable business because people would just be buying a relationship they're not buying you know a, a block of something but by doing this I want to create something that down the road I can kind of leave that legacy and pass it on whether it be to the girls or to sell it and have something for them so that's that's what it looks like um, and and that's the part that we're moving to and, it, and it's funny it's something that's always been in the back of my mind even on this business and to look at it but it's really cool because there's so many opportunity and there's still so many people I mean even now we'll go somewhere and I'll be see a group of guys and they're like, hey, do you do business with him? And I'm like, no. I was like, you know, there's just so much growth, which is so fun. And, and I do think, and Chad, to answer or go back to your question, I think the other piece of that is meeting guys where they are in this journey. And I think that's important for every business owner and entrepreneur out there is to understand that it is a journey. And there's a lots of turns and lots of circles and a lot of people that are going, things that are going to impact it and everything else. And it's just how do you stay on that long end, you know, Driving back yesterday, you know, you know, using GPS, every now and then you kind of scroll and say, how many more hours and what do I do? You know, when you're so caught up in where I am right now versus seeing that end result. So that's the thing for me is, is I know what that journey looks like and I know I think what the end is, but but I'm really excited about the road because there's still a lot left of that journey. Yeah, man. I like pointing this out, Johnny, the uh, the Entrepreneur Adventure logo we have here, which is a series of peaks, man. You know, it's like it's not just one summit they're not there's multiple on there and the great thing is that for people who are entrepreneurial they do they, they climb up to the top of one you climb up to the top of the Affleck mountain and then you went back down a little bit to start again with something new but then you're you're climbing the peak that you're on now and there'll be lots more summits and peaks for johnny mccutcheon and j max and dude i was thinking about this too you're talking about selling it i'm like you just got to start looking for people with the first initial j and the last name starts with max i mean i could be like oh, i started this thing yeah this is me That's from day right. one so you got a great sellable brand and business. Man, so much stuff. We could talk to you for hours. Uh, so much stuff. I know I picked up. Chad's over here rocking in the seat. Probably has something to do with the caffeine from Starbucks, but also I know from the inspiration you get from Johnny. But, man, thank you so much for giving time and energy and your knowledge and wisdom to our listeners here at the Entrepreneur Adventure Podcast, man. Loved having you. Man, I really enjoyed it. It was great. And uh, one shout-out to the Stronger Business Summit on October 8th. Hope you guys will come because I think it's going to be awesome uh, for those of you out there listening. 
Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Entrepreneur Adventure. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please be sure to like and subscribe to The Entrepreneur Adventure wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check us out on the web at www.theentrepreneuradventure.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram as well. And remember, The Entrepreneur Adventure does not have to be traveled alone, but is a journey to be shared. We'll catch you next time on Entrepreneur Adventure, where we give you the tools to climb higher and faster than ever before.